We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the ninth piece in Hilchus Tumas Meis. This is the third piece on Perik Yotes Halacha Aleph. And Rab Chaim's continuing to explore further elements of the debate between the Rambam and the Raivid, how to understand the case of the Mishnahs about a kaveras, a barrel with Tuma. The Rambam writes, B'medvar Mamurim, these halachas apply kli only when it's an empty vessel. Avalim haisa but if there were holes which were plugged up, or if it was filled up inside with straw, so there isn't an airspace of a tefach inside of the barrel, so there's no empty space. So then the halacha changes. If it's lying on the ground and the opening is facing outside of the house, and there's a piece of a dead body underneath the barrel, the tumah goes all the way down, but it does not go up. And if the tumah was on top of the barrel, so then it goes all the way up, but it does not go down. Down. So basically, in this case, the Tumah does not break through the barrel, even though in the earlier case, the Rambam had said that the Tumah does continue above and below the barrel, but in this case, it does not. It only goes in the direction away from the barrel, but it does not continue in the other direction. Now, if the Tumah was inside of the barrel, only inside of the barrel is Tameh in this case, but not anything above or below it. So this is a quote from the Mishnah, and basically it's differentiating that the earlier case where it was an empty barrel, so there the tumah could continue beyond the barrel or it could spread from inside the barrel outwards. But if the barrel would be filled with straw, so there's no tefach of airspace inside of it, then the tumah does not travel around the barrel and go down or up, and it also doesn't spread from inside the barrel outwards. So the Ravid asks a question, and this was the question Rab Chaim dealt with at the end of the previous piece, which is why isn't there tumah ritzut in this case. If the Tumah is under the barrel, why does it not go through the barrel the same way it did in the previous piece? As we said, Tumah Ritsutsa goes through even Samid Pasil. So why doesn't it go through this barrel even though it's filled up with straw? So the Raivit explains that the case of Afutsa is different from the Rambam. The Rambam understands that there's straw totally filling up the barrel, so there's no Tefach airspace. The Raivit understands that the case is that all the sides of the barrel were ruined wind, so it's no longer considered a vessel, but there's still an airspace of a tefach between the top and the bottom of the barrel. So even though the sides of the wall are broken, but they're holding up the top and the bottom of the barrel with a tefach of airspace. So it's now considered an ohel and not a vessel. So that's why it breaks the tumah from traveling further, because that's the difference between an ohel versus a vessel. A vessel doesn't stop the tumah from progressing. An ohel does. So since this barrel was ruined from being a vessel, it now becomes an ohel because there's a tefach airspace. So that prevents the tumah from traveling further. But the Ravid concludes that that this is not a great answer. He still thinks the question is better than the answer. So those are the two differing approaches of the Rambam and the Ravid. The Rambam understands afutza is that the entire barrel is filled up with straw, so there's no tefach airspace. The Ravid says that it means that the walls of the vessel were destroyed, so there's a tefach airspace without a vessel, which means it's an ohel. So Rab Chaim 
explains the Ravid's comment that the key distinction the Mishnah makes between a regular empty barrel versus a barrel that has holes in it or a futsa is that in the first case it's considered a vessel because since it's just a barrel that's sitting there, it's now a vessel. So that's why it doesn't stop the Tumah from progressing. But in the second case, it's considered an ohel. So according to the Rambam, that the case of afutza is that it's filled with straw, so there's not even a tefach airspace, the Ravid asks, that's not an ohel, that's the opposite of an ohel. An ohel requires a tefach airspace. So in this case, why should this be considered an ohel and not a vessel? And why doesn't the Tumah Ritsutza break through this vessel, same as in the first case? So that's why the Ravid explains that afutza is that the walls are broken, so there's just a tefach airspace, but there's no longer a vessel. So that's why it's considered an ohel and it blocks the Tumar But the Ravid concludes that this is not a great answer because since there isn't a wall of a tefach airspace, so this is not technically an ohel. It just has two things that are sitting there that are a tefach apart, but there's no wall between them. So how can this be considered an ohel to block the Tumar So Rab Chaim proposes an answer to the Ravid's questions. And first he tries to answer the question on the Rambam based on a ruling of the Rambam himself earlier in Yudbe's Ches. The Rambam writes, If there's a barrel that holds a saw that's hanging in the air on its side, so So it will not permeate the Tumah throughout. In other words, it's not considered an Ohel unless it has approximately four and a half Tfachim of width. So the Rambam explains that with that measurement, there will be a Tefach and a half in the height. So underneath it, there will be a tefach by a tefach of airspace, which is the minimum measurement of an ohel. So that's the height that's required in order to create a tefach of airspace in order to have an ohel. So we see from this Rambam that the bottom side of the barrel doesn't cut into the tefach of airspace. We evaluate each of the sides of the barrel, the top and the bottom, separately. So even though in this case, the bottom part of the barrel would minimize the tefach of airspace, it doesn't matter. And the top part independently is seen as having a tefach of airspace. Says Rab Chaim, this view of the Rambam is going to explain this halacha as well. Because in this case of the afutza, the barrel which is filled with straw, we evaluate the top of the barrel independently from the bottom. So even though if we took the whole barrel, there is no tefach of airspace, but without the bottom, the top does have a tefach of airspace between it and the ground. So we evaluate the top independently and therefore there is a tefach of airspace. So that's why it's considered an ohel. And very beautifully, the Ravid is also Lashitaso because earlier in chapter 12, he disagreed with the Rambam precisely on this point. He argues that the bottom side of the barrel does cut into the tefach airspace of the top. So we don't take each side independently, but we look at the whole barrel. So that's why the Ravid disagrees in this case as well. In the case of the Afutza barrel, if the whole thing is filled with straw, then we're going to take the entire barrel as a unit. So there's no tefach airspace and it can't be an ohel. So that's why the Ravid questions the Rambam. So very nicely, according to Rab Chaim, this debate between the Rambam and the Ravid in chapter 19 follows their earlier opinions in chapter 12. Now Rab Chaim proposes a solution to the Ravid's question on his own approach. The Ravid explained that there are no walls to this vessel, but there is a tefach of airspace. So the Ravid asked, how could that be considered an ohel, even though there's a tefach of airspace, since there's no wall that goes on for a tefach? So Rab Chaim answers that maybe the case here is where the person filled in the holes in the walls. So there is a wall with regards to ohel, but it's not considered the vessel because 
because the vessel itself has broken walls. In other words, these walls are not considered walls of the barrel. They're just considered walls that create an ohel because the barrel's been broken and it's been filled in with another material. So that's why it's considered an ohel and not a vessel. So these are Reb Chaim's solutions to explain both the Rambam and the Raivid's interpretations of the case of Afutza. But says Reb Chaim, there's still a lingering problem with this whole case, which is why doesn't the Tuma penetrate into the barrel in this case, even though it's considered an ohel, but the standard rule of ohel is that it affects the things which are under it in the ohel. So if there's tumah there, it doesn't progress beyond the ohel, and if there's something tahor, it protects it from tumah outside. So the general rule of ohel is for things that are in the ohel. In this case, there is an ohel on top of the tumah, but the tumah itself is not under the ohel, because the ohel is a barrel, which is on the ground, and under the barrel is a piece of a dead body. So the tumah is under an ohel, but not in the normal sense of being in the ohel. It's not actually under the ohel, it's just under the object, which is an ohel. So why does that change the calculation of this tumah in any way? The tumah should still be considered tumah ritsutsa, because it's in a confined space, and it should go all the way up and down. So that should penetrate even through the barrel, as the Rambam and the Raivet hold in general. So we're still left with the question in this case, why does the barrel being in ohel stop the tumah from traveling further when the tumah is technically not in the barrel's ohel. So Rab Chaim suggests a simple solution that maybe the barrel is not protecting as an ohel, but it's protecting as tzamid pasil. Any sealed enclosed vessel does not allow the tumah into it. So in this case, maybe this barrel is a tzamid pasil. The Mishnah in the 10th chapter of Kalim says that even a large vessel, which is considered an ohel, still has the protection of tzamid pasil. So even though this barrel has the rules of ohel, it could still fall in the category of tzamid pasil. And even though there's holes in it, that also wouldn't prevent it from being tzamid pasil because the Gemara in Shabbos Tzadivav says that even if there's holes, it's considered tzamid pasil unless a majority of it is broken through. So this barrel would qualify for the protection of tzamid pasil. So that might be why it stops the tumah. But says Rab Chaim, that's also not going to work because since in this case, the dead body is tumah so as Rab Chaim's been saying in the previous pieces, Tumaritsutsa can penetrate even Tzamid Pesil. So that answer is not going to work. And Rab Chaim concludes that this may be a part of the Ravid's lingering question that why doesn't the Tuma here still penetrate even though the barrel is considered an Ohel. So to answer this in the second paragraph, Rab Chaim revisits some of the themes from the previous piece. One of the cases in the ninth chapter of Alos where the Mishnah deals with Kaveres, the cases of a barrel, is if the the barrel is lying on the ground in the doorway facing outwards, and there's tumma either on top of the barrel or underneath the barrel. So the Mishnah rules, Kol anything that's in the direct line of the tumma, either on top of the barrel or in the barrel, is all tame. So even things that are in the barrel in the direct line of the tumma are tame. The Kol Tahor. But anything that's not in the direct line of the tumma is Tahor. So if something's in the barrel on the side, it's not directly above the Tumah, it's Tahar. Now, this is the version of the Rambam and the Raivid, and according to their version of the Mishnah, it's saying that even though the Tumah doesn't spread throughout the barrel, but anything which is in the direct line of the Tumah is still Tameh. But there is another version, which is Kol Shekinegad Azayis Anything which is in the direct line of the Tumah on top or below the barrel is Tameh, but everything 
everything in the barrel, even if it's in the direct line of the Tumah, is Tahor. So according to this second version, which is the Rush and the Rash, they hold that the barrel protects everything inside of it, even the things which are in the direct line of the Tumah. Now the issue of this debate is whether Tumah Ritsutsa penetrates into Tzamid Pasil. So the barrel has the protection of Tzamid Pasil, but coming against that is Tumah Ritsutsa. So according to the Rambam and the Raivid, the Tumah Ritsutsa is able to penetrate into the barrel and anything in its direct line becomes Tameh. Whereas according to the other version, the barrel protects against the Tumah Ritsutsa and it can't get in there at all. Now the Kesef Mishnah asks on the Rambam's approach that the vessels in the barrel, which are in the line of Tumah, become Tameh but everything else in the barrel doesn't. So the Kesef Mishnah asks, how can you maintain that balance? Because once the Tumah penetrates into the barrel to make things that are in its direct line Tameh, how does it avoid spreading throughout the barrel? In other words, the Tumah did get into the barrel, so what stops it then from spreading throughout the barrel? That's the Kesef Mishnah's question. So in the previous piece, Rab Chaim resolved this based on the idea that the Tumah can affect even from afar. But here he suggests a different approach, which is that it's possible to reconcile the Tzamid Pesil with the Tumaratsutsa. They can both sort of coexist. So the Tzamid Pesil does protect the barrel and it prevents the Tumah from spreading throughout the barrel. But at the same time, the Tumaratsutsa is going up and down, so anything in its direct line becomes Tameh. And Rab Chaim explains this based on a Gemara in Chulin on Kufchaf Hay. The Gemara is discussing the issue of whether the two types of transmitting Tumah, of either touching a dead body or being in the same room as a dead body, in Ohel, if those are considered the same form of transmitting Tumah, or they're two different tracks of transmitting Tumah. So the Gemara quotes a Brisa from Reb Oven or Reb Yossi Bar Oven, Hanogea bekechatzi zayis, umahil alchatzi zayis, o chatzi zayis mahil alav, tameh. If someone is touching a half a zayis, a half a measurement of a dead body, and at the same time they're either hovering over a half a zayis of a dead body, or a half a zayis of a dead body is hovering over them, so neither of these half aziases on their own can make the person Tameh, but together they could impart Tumah. So the Brisa rules that the person becomes Tameh. So that indicates that the half azayas they're touching and the half azayas that they're either an Ohel over or is an Ohel over them, both combine and together they transfer the Tumah. So the Gemara says, If we say that touching and Ohel are the same form of transferring Tumah, so that explains why they combine in this case. But but if they're considered two different types of transferring Tumah, so how do they combine together in this case? The Mishnah says, Transfers of Tumah that are considered the same form can combine, but two different tracks of transferring Tumah cannot combine. So it must be that touching Tumah and being in Ohel on Tumah are the same track. So the Gemara counters that the end of that original brisa says that if at the time he's touching a half a Zayas Tumah, he's also in a room with a half a Zayas of Tumah. So here he's not hovering over it and it's not hovering over him, but he's under the same roof as a half a Zayas of Tumah. So there the brisa rules that he's Tahor. We don't combine the two of them. So this brisa is very unusual because it differentiates two of the cases of Ohel that if the person is over the dead body or the dead body is over them, then we do combine it with touching a dead body. But if the person is in the same room as a dead body, then we don't combine that with touching a dead body. So what would be the difference? 
So Reb Zeira answers that in fact, Ohel and Maga are two different types of Tumah. The reason in the first case of the Brisa we combine them is because there it's talking about a very specific type of Tumas Ohel, which is Tumah Ritzutza. So according to Reb Zeira, the case is Tumah Ritzutza ben Shnei Migdolim Askinan. There's two closets next to each other and there is no Tefach airspace between them. And there's a Tumah of a dead body between the two closets. And then the person put themselves over that space. So that's a classic case of Tumaritsutsa because there's no Tefach airspace. So the person who went over that space hit the direct line of the Tumaritsutsa going up and down. And according to Reb Zeira, Tumaritsutsa has the same status as touching the Tuma. So this is a very interesting distinction that Reb Zeira makes that a regular case of Ohel, if a person is over a dead body or in the same room as a dead body, so that's considered a different track from touching the Tuma itself. But Tumaritsutsa, one of the differences between that and Ohel is that Tumaritsutsa is like the person directly touched the dead body. So that's why it combines with Tumas Maga. So now, based on this, says Rab Chaim, we could answer the Kesef Mishnah's question. That Samid Pesil protects against Ohel, but it doesn't protect against Maga. So in this case of the barrel, it has Samid Pesil, so that's going to prevent Tumas Ohel. There's no way for the Tuma to spread throughout this barrel. But it doesn't protect against Tumaritsutsa, which has the status of Maga. So anything in the direct line of the Tuma is as if it touched the Tuma, and that all becomes Tame. But that's still not going to spread throughout the barrel, because since the barrel protects against Tumas Ohel, so whatever Tuma gets in there can only work as Maga, but it cannot in any way work as Tumas Ohel. So this is a very interesting idea that Rab Chaim proposes, that the Tuma does come in a stream up into the barrel, but the barrel only lets in the form of Tomas Maga. It blocks out entirely anything that has to do with Tomas Ohel. So only things in the direct line of the Tuma are affected, but not the other things spread throughout the barrel. But says Rab Chaim, it's not so simple that the Rambam holds like Reb Zeira, because the case of Reb Zeira is only when the Tuma is boxed in by the two closets and there's no Tefach airspace. But the Rambam explicitly disagrees with that because the Rambam has a case where the barrel is hanging in the air and there is a Tefach airspace underneath it and the Rambam still rules that the Tuma penetrates through the barrel. So this is the view of the Rambam that Rab Chaim's mentioned in the previous pieces that there's Tuma Ritzutza even if it's not in a confined space, even if it's out in the open air. So the same is true in this case, even though there's a tefach of airspace, the tumah still penetrates through the barrel. So that seems to go against Reb Zeira, who seemed to limit the rule of tumah ritzutza only when there's a constricted space. So says Rab Chaim, even though the Rambam does not hold like Reb Zeira, but we can still use this same model to explain the Rambam, because there are other answers in that Gemara in Chulin. Again, the Gemara is trying to figure out what case case of Ohel is considered touching the Tumah. So Abaya differentiates that there are two types of Ohel. One is if the person is hovering over the dead body within a Tefach, so that's called Negia, Lemalami Tefach Ohel Greda. But if they're hovering above a Tefach over the dead body, then that's called Ohel. So that's Abaya's distinction between Ohel that's touching versus Ohel that's Ohel, depending whether the person is within a Tefach of the dead body. Rava Amar Afilu Lemalami Tefach Nami Ohel Negiahu Rava says that even if the person is hovering more than a tefach above the dead body, it's still considered touching. So what's a regular case of ohel when they're in the same room as a dead body? 
So Rava differentiates between when the person is hovering over the dead body, which is always considered touching the dead body, versus being in the same room, under the same roof as the dead body, which is just considered ohel, but it's not considered touching the dead body. So this is Rava's approach to explain the brysa, that there is in fact a difference between someone who hovers over a dead body, which is considered a form of maga, versus someone that's in a room with a dead body, which is considered ohel. So Rava is a very similar approach to except he removes the need for a constricted Tumah. So according to Rava, even being over a body in the open air is still considered touching the dead body. So that's the difference between Rava and Reb Zeira. Do we require Tumah Ritsutsa, meaning Tumah in a constricted space, or is any dead body hovering over it considered Maga? So if we follow the formulation of Rava, that will certainly explain the Ramba. We could say, like Rab Chaim said, that the barrel prevents any Tumas Ohel, but it's not able to protect against Tumas Maga. So that's why the Tuma Ritsutsa, whether it's in a constricted place or not, either way, anything that's in a direct line of the Tuma becomes Tame because it's as if it touched the Tuma, but there's no Tumas Ohel. So even though the Tuma gets into the barrel, it only allows Tumas Maga in there, but it doesn't allow Tumas Ohel. So it doesn't spread throughout the barrel. And even though the Rambam extends this concept, even to a case where the barrel is hanging in the air, and the Rambam says still the Tuma penetrates through the barrel. That makes sense because the Rambam rules like Rava, not like Reb Zera. So even if the Tuma is not constricted, it's not technically Tuma Ritsutsa, but it's out in the open air, it's still considered a form of Maga for whatever's on top of it. So it penetrates through the barrel. Now the Raivid disagrees with the Rambam in the case where the barrel is hanging in the air above a Tefach airspace. And the Raivid says that the Tuma will not penetrate in that case. So Rabbi Chaim explains, as he's done in the previous pieces, that this is based on another debate the Rambam and the Ravid had earlier in chapter 16, whether there's Tumaritsutsa even in the open airspace. The Rambam holds that Tumaritsutsa applies whether it's in a constricted place, meaning there's less than a tefach airspace, or even if it's in the open air, either way the Tumaritsutsa goes up and down. The Ravid holds that Tumaritsutsa only applies, as it literally means, in a constricted area of less than a tefach airspace. But if it's sitting out in the open air, that's not Tumaritsutsa. There is Tumas Ohel. So if someone hovers over the dead body, they do become Tame because that's a form of Tuma. But there's no Tumaritsutsa in that case that the Tuma goes up and down. So that's why the Ravid disagrees in the case of the hanging barrel because since it's considered like in the open air, there's no Tumaritsutsa, so it doesn't penetrate into the barrel. So now the view of the Rambam, as Rab Chaim explained, is based on Rava, because Rava seems to be arguing with Reb Zera precisely on this point that he holds that the rules of Tumaritsutsa apply even to Tuma, which is not in a constricted space, even if it's in the open air. So that's why the Rambam holds that even Tuma lying under the open air or lying under a vessel that's hanging in the air, there's always Tumaritsutsa and it penetrates through the vessel. But the Ravid, so Rab Chaim explains that he also rules like Rava, but he holds that Rava is not totally disagreeing with Reb Zera. They're only disagreeing over the issue of whether it's considered as if the person touched the dead body. So Rava holds that halacha applies even if it's not in a constricted space. So according to Rava, whether the body's covered over or not, either way, if someone hovers over it, it's as if they touched it. But with regard to the general rule of Tumaritsutsa, that it shoots up and down, so even Rava's going to agree 
agree with Reb Zeira that that only applies when it's covered over. So that's how the Ravid understands Rava's disagreement with Reb Zeira. He's not arguing on a fundamental level. He's just saying even though this is not considered Tomaritsutsa because it's in the open air, but it is considered Maga if someone hovers over it. So that's how to understand the debate between the Rambam and the Ravid. They both rule like Rava against Reb Zeira. The question is to what extent does Rava disagree with Reb Zeira? Does he totally disagree that Tumaritsutsa applies whether the body is covered over or not? Or does he only disagree with regards to whether it's considered Tumas Maga, but in general he agrees that Tumaritsutsa, the shooting up and down element, only happens if it's covered over. So at the end of Rab Chaim's analysis, the Rambam rules according to Rava. So that answers the Kesef Mishnah's question. That's why anything in the direct line of the Tumah becomes Tameh, even if the Tumah is not covered over, because being in the direct line of Tumah is like touching it. So that penetrates even through the barrel. But it does not spread through the barrel, even once the Tumah goes into the barrel, because the barrel prevents any Tumas Ohel from entering. Now, this is a very nice explanation of the Rambam, but this is all based on the Mishnah. So it can't be that this only fits according to Rava and not Reb Zeira because he also has to interpret the Mishnah. So Rab Chaim points out that the Mishnah itself never ruled in the case of the hanging barrel that the stuff inside in the line of Tumah is Tameh. It ruled that way in the first case where the barrel is on the floor, but in the case where the barrel is hanging, it never said one way or another explicitly. So this could be another part of the debate between Rava and Reb Zeira. According to Rava, in that case, anything in the direct line of Tumah is also going to be Tameh. Same as when the barrel was on the floor, because even though in that case it's hanging, but according to Rava, anything that hovers over a dead body is as if it touched it. Whereas Reb Zeira is going to differentiate between the cases that only when it's on the floor, so there's Tumah there the stuff that's directly over the Tumah becomes Tameh, but when the barrel's hanging, so there's no Tumah so everything inside of the barrel is Tahar. And the Rambam who added in that even in that case, the things directly above the Tumah are Tameh is because he rules like Rava. So that's Rab Chaim's explanation for the Rambam and the Ravid, how they make sense of this debate of Rava and Rab Zeira and apply it to their rulings in this chapter. So now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim returns to answer the original question using this idea that he just developed. But before that, there's one more step. In the Mishnah in Allah's chapter 10, which is the chapter that deals with windows, so there's a case that Mixus Tumah Babayis there's half a measurement of the Tumah in the house and there's half a measurement on the windowsill. So do we combine those two measurements? So Rabbi Yossi's opinion is that if there's enough Tumah, that if they were split up, both of those places would still be Tameh. So there's a double measurement of Tumah. So then everything is Tameh. The whole house as well as anyone that hovers over this Tumah that's in the windowsill. But if there's not enough, so Rabbi Yossi rules, Habayis Tameh Kenegra Tumah Tahor. The entire house becomes Tameh, but someone that hovers over the Tumah does not become Tameh. So Rab Chaim asks, why should there be any leniency for someone that hovers over the Tumah because there isn't enough of a measurement? Let's say someone hovered over a dead body, but they only hovered over a small part of it and it wasn't a Kazayas. They would still be Tameh because by hovering over one small bit of the body, it's as if they hovered over the rest of it. So they become Tameh through the part that they didn't directly hover over. So the same should be true in this case. Even if this piece in the windowsill is a small measurement, so it's not enough on its own to create Tumah, but anyone that hovers over it, it should combine with the other Tumah, and they should become Tameh from the whole thing together.
together. So why does Rabbi Yossi say that the person that hovered over the small piece does not become Tameh? So Rab Chaim answers based on another one of his favorite Rambams. The Rambam earlier in Tesezayin Vav wrote, Any Tuma which is not in an Ohel is considered Ritsutsa. So the way the Rambam defines Tuma Ritsutsa is in the absence of Ohel. There's not a real definition for what creates Tuma Ritsutsa other than that if there's a body which is not being used for Tomas Ohel, so it's used for Tuma Ritsutsa instead. But if the body is in an ohel, so the ohel prevents the tumaritsutsa from taking effect. So now based on this, says Rab Chaim, the same would be true of the other related halachas to tumaritsutsa, which are that hovering over a dead body is as if someone touched it, and that even if there's less than a tefach airspace, the tuma travels through it. So all those three halachas are basically a unit that the tumma goes up and down, what's called tumma as well as that anyone that hovers over the dead body is as if they touched it, like Rava said, as well as that if there's less than a tefach airspace, the tumma travels through there. They all go together. And if there's tumas ohel, then it prevents all of those halachas from taking effect. So the only time those halachas apply, like tumma is only when there's no ohel. Once there's an ohel, then none of those halachas happen. So now this explains the view of Rabiosi. The reason that someone that hovers over a small measurement of Tumah, less than a Kazayis, is not Tameh, even though in general the rules of Ohel are that if someone hovers over a small part of the body, we combine the whole body to create Tumah, but in this case it's different because the other piece of Tumah is under the house, so it's under an Ohel. So that piece is removed from the whole equation because since it's being used as part of Tumah's Ohel, it can no longer be used for this hovering over Tumah. So the person who hovered over the small piece on the windowsill only hovered over the small piece. It does not combine with the other piece, which is in the house, because that piece is already taken for Tomas Ohel. So that's why in this case, the person is Tahor. There's no Tuma created by hovering over the small piece because the other piece is being used in a totally different way. So this reinforces Rab Chaim's idea that anytime there's Tomas Ohel, we don't use that piece of Tuma for any of the Ritsutsa type types of tumma, like hovering on top of it or going through something less than a tefach airspace. So now taking all these ideas and returning to the original question, which was why in the case of a barrel, which is considered an ohel, either because it's totally filled with straw or because the sides of it were destroyed, why does that prevent the tumma from penetrating through? Even though it's considered an ohel and not a vessel, but the ohel is on top of the tumma So why isn't it able to go through this barrel? So so now, based on all this, says Rab Chaim, the answer is going to be that since the barrel prevents Tumas Ohel from coming into it, because that's the rule of Tzamed Pasil, so the only type of Tuma that might have gotten in is Tumaritsutsa, which is a form of Maga. So that theoretically could have gotten into the barrel, but even if it got in, as Rab Chaim explained, the barrel was going to prevent it from spreading throughout the barrel because that was a form of Tumas Ohel. So even the Tumaritsutsa part of it, the barrel only allows in the Maga element, not the Tumas Ohel part of it. But when it comes to Tumas Maga, anytime the Tuma is under an Ohel, it loses the status of Maga. So in this case, since the Tuma is under the barrel, which now has a status of an Ohel, that removes the Maga status, and that's why it's unable to penetrate through the barrel. Now, Reb Chaim differentiates that this is different than a regular case where the 
from a Ritsutsa is under an Ohel, where it travels from its Ritsutsa place into the Ohel, and then it spreads to the whole Ohel. So there is a case where Tuma begins as Tuma Ritsutsa, but then when it goes into the Ohel, it transforms into Tumas Ohel. Even though Rab Chaim saying that Ohel and Ritsutsa are contradictions. So Rab Chaim explains that it's possible for Tuma Ritsutsa to travel into an Ohel and then transform and spread throughout the Ohel. The difference in this case is that there's not only an Ohel, but it's also Tzamid Pasil. It has both elements to it. So together, they totally prevent the Tuma. Because the Tzamid Pasil prevents any Tumas Ohel from entering the barrel. And the fact that it's considered an Ohel prevents the Maga part from entering the barrel. Because again, the Maga part cannot coexist with Tumas Ohel. So the combination of the barrel being considered an Ohel as well as Tzamid Pasil prevents any Tuma from entering. But a regular Ohel, which does not have Tzamid Pasil, so once the Tuma Ritsutsa gets into the Ohel, it then spreads around the whole Ohel. This case is different because the barrel is both an Ohel as well as Tzamid Pasil, and that's why the Tuma is not able to penetrate at all. But now in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim points out that this doesn't fully answer the question because there's still a lingering element to this question that this Tuma is not in the Ohel of the barrel. The standard case of an Ohel stopping Tuma Ritsutsa is when the body itself is in the Ohel. So since it's being used as part of Tomas Ohel, there's no Tuma Ritsutsa. But in this case, the barrel is on top of the Tuma, but it's not using it for Tomas Ohel. So it's just an Ohel lying on top of the Tuma. So why should that prevent Tuma Ritsutsa? Also, Rab Chaim points out that what we generally find is that an Ohel stops the whole Tuma Ritsutsa case from taking effect. So when the body's in an Ohel, it's not in a constricted place, so it's not considered a case of Tuma Ritsutsa. But in this case, that's not what's happening. Even though the Tuma is under the Ohel, but it still is Ritsutsa because it's in a constricted, covered over space, and it's covered over by this barrel. So this is not a situation where the Ohel is stopping the Ritsutsa. This this is still Tumaritsutsa. It just happens to be under an Ohel. So who says in that case there's no Tumaritsutsa? But Rab Chaim counters that even though we may have entertained this possibility, but that seems to be exactly what the Mishnah in Oalos about this barrel is teaching us, that don't make these distinctions. So don't say that the only time there's no Tumaritsutsa is when it's in the Ohel and there's no case of Ritsutsa. But even in this case where it's under a barrel, so it's not in the Ohel, but the Ohel's line on the Tuma, and it is Ritsutsa, even so, any time there's an Ohel on top of Tuma Ritsutsa, it's not considered Tumas Maga, so the Tsamid Pisil part of the barrel protects against Tumas Ohel, and the fact that this Tuma is lying under an Ohel prevents it from being Tuma Ritsutsa, so there is no Tumas Maga, so that's why everything in the barrel is Tahar. So that's exactly what we learn from this Halacha in the Mishnah, not to make these differentiations, but that in all cases, if there's a body under an Ohel, there is no Tuma Ritsutsa and there is no Tumas Maga. And now this Mishnah is also the source for the other ruling of the Rambam, that if the barrel is hanging in the air, it's considered a vessel, it's not an Ohel, so the Tuma does penetrate through it. And even the Ravid who disagrees with that, but he doesn't disagree that that's not considered an Ohel. He agrees that the hanging barrel is not considered an Ohel. He just thinks there's no Tuma Ritsutsa in that case because it's as if it's in the open air. But if not for that, if there would be Tumaritsutsa, 
then the Ravid would agree with the Rambam that the Tumah does penetrate through the hanging vessel and it's not considered an Ohel. So the source for that ruling is also from this Mishnah because the Mishnah itself differentiates between a regular barrel versus the barrel that's very large so it's considered an Ohel or if it has holes or if it's a Futsa so according to the Rambam it's full according to the Ravid the sides were broken. So in those cases the Mishnah says that the barrel is considered like an Ohel and not like a Kli. But in the first case of a regular hollow barrel that's lying on the ground, the Mishnah says that's a Kli and not an Ohel. So that's exactly the source from which the Rambam derived this halacha, that if the vessel is hanging in the air, it's considered a Kli and not an Ohel. So if there's Tumah under it, it will penetrate through it because that's not Tumah that's under an Ohel. So it has the status of Tumas Maga, so it's able to get into the vessel. But if the barrel would be considered an Ohel, like in the cases where it has holes or it's very large. So then, of course, any tuma that's under it would not have the status of maga because it's under an ohel and it would not be able to get into the barrel. But now in the last paragraph, there seems to be a big problem with Rab Chaim's whole approach because Rab Chaim's been saying throughout that the Rambam rules like Rava, that anytime someone hovers over a dead body, it's considered Tumas Maga. But in fact, it seems like the Rambam rules like Reb Zeira because earlier in chapter four, he said that if someone's hovering over a dead body, that doesn't combine with Maga, but it does combine with Tumas Ohel. So that's like Reb Zeira, that in a regular case of hovering over a dead body, if it's not Tumaritsutsa because it's in a confined space, just an open body, so that's considered Ohel and not Maga. And that goes against Rava who says that it's Maga. So the Rambam seems to rule like Reb Zeira and not like Rava. And that would undermine Rab Chaim's whole explanation that when there's a dead body under the barrel, the Tuma gets into the barrel because it's considered Tumas Maga. But Rab Chaim points out that there's another problem with this Rambam because not only did he omit Rava's halacha, that a body in open open space is considered Maga. He even omitted Reb Zeira's halacha that a body in a confined small space, which is definitely Tumaritsutsa, the Rambam makes no mention that that's considered Tumas Maga. And that both Reb Zeira and Rava agreed to. That was based on their interpretation of the Mishnah itself. So why didn't the Rambam at least mention Reb Zeira's agreed upon halacha that if there's Tumaritsutsa because it's in a small space, that combines with Tumas Maga because they're considered the same form of Tumah. So to answer that, Rab Chaim suggests something creative, which is there's a debate between Rabbi Yossi and Rab Shimon quoted in the Gemara in Chulin over Malay Tarvad Shal Rekev, which is Rekev is the dust of a dead body after it disintegrates and Malay Tarvad is the minimum measurement. So if there's a minimum measurement of the dust from a dead body, that also creates Tumah like a dead body. But there's a debate. Rabbi Yossi holds that it's Tame even B'mag, if someone touches it. And Reb Shimon holds that there is no Tuma for touching it. So there's no Tumas Maga for Rekev, the dust of a dead body. So now the Rambam did the following equation. If Reb Shimon totally rejects the idea that Tumas Rekev can transfer through Maga, that means not only does he reject that specific detail, but he must reject the whole halacha that hovering over Tumaritsutsa is considered Maga. Because if he doesn't reject that, then there would be a case where 
even Rekev transfers through Tuma, and that is where the Rekev is in a confined space. So it's now Tuma Ritsutsa. So someone who hovers over it, it's as if they had Maga with the Rekev. So if Reb Shimon's going to insist that there is no Maga transfer for Tumas Rekev, then it must mean that he also disagrees with the whole concept that hovering over Tuma Ritsutsa is considered like Tumas Maga. So Reb Shimon disagrees with the Mishnah on this point. The Mishnah follows the view of Reb Yossi, but the Rambam rules like Reb Shimon. So that's why the Rambam totally omits any mention of this halacha that there's Tumas Maga when it comes to Tumar Ritsutsa or Tumas Ohel. But even though the Rambam rules like Reb Shimon in the overall debate, when it comes to the debate between Rava and Reb Zeira within the view of Reb Yossi, so there the Rambam rules like Rava, that Reb Yossi would say that even a regular Tomas Ohel, even if the body is in open space, someone hovering over that is considered Tomas Maga. So this balance that the Rambam rules overall like Reb Shimon, but he rules like Rava in the debate against Reb Zeira within the view of Reb Yossi, is going to be able to explain the approach of the Rambam in this halacha, but it does need to be reformulated a little bit. So whereas throughout the piece, Rab Chaim's been saying that there's Tumas Maga for anything that's in the direct line of the Tuma, we now need to adjust that formulation a little bit because that's the view of Reb Yossi. The Rambam actually rules like Reb Shimon, so it's not considered a regular case of Maga as if the person hovering over the dead body is touching it, but it works a little differently. It's considered Bokas the Tuma is going up and down. So even though it doesn't have the status of Maga, but there's still a difference between the Tuma spreading throughout, which is the way Ohel works, versus Bokas Vaola Bokas Vioredis when it goes up and down, even if that's not a regular case of Tumas Maga, but it still works differently. So that's why we can differentiate that anything that's directly in the line of Tuma, even if it's inside the barrel, becomes Tame, because the Tuma goes directly into it. But even so, the tsamid pasil of the barrel prevents the tuma that gets in from spreading throughout the barrel. So the barrel is able to protect anything inside of it from tumas ohel. So that explains the balance that the tuma does go in and it affects anything directly over it, but it does not spread throughout the barrel. And this dynamic is going to apply even if it's not a classic case of tuma ritsutsa, meaning it's not in a confined space, it's in an open space because we follow Rava on this issue that even a dead body in open space has the status of Bokas Vaola, Bokas Vioretis. It goes up and down, so anything directly above it is going to become Tame. But in the second case of the Mishnah where the barrel has holes or it's a futsa, so it's no longer considered a vessel. It now becomes an Ohel. So that's going to stop even the Bokas Vaola, meaning even according to Reb Shimon's formulation that this is not Tumas Maga, it's just Tuma that goes up but even so, we could apply the same idea Rab Chaim's been developing throughout that once the Tuma is under an Ohel, that totally stops any Tuma from going up. So that's why in the second case, the Tuma does not affect anything even directly above it. So in the last few lines, Rab Chaim basically reformulates his approach throughout this piece because earlier he kept using the phrase Tumas Maga and he was saying that if the Tuma is under an Ohel, it stops there from being any Tumas Maga from that Tuma. But now he's reformulating it in line with Reb Shimon, which is how the Rambam rules, that hovering over Tuma never has the status of Maga. It works differently, which is Bokas Va'ola, the Tuma goes up, and still says Rab Chaim, that works within his overall approach, that if it's under an Ohel, that removes the Tuma from going up at all. 
So this is Rab Chaim's explanation for this halacha in the Rambam. The key conceptual point that he develops is that within Tumas Ohel, there's also a track of Tumas Maga. So sometimes hovering over a dead body is a form of Maga. And according to Rab Chaim, Tzamid Pesil not only blocks out the regular form of Tumas Ohel, but it also blocks out any Ohel that would have come about as a result of that Tumas Maga. So Tzamid Pesil is a bit of a more complicated protection. We know that it protects against Tomas Ohel, but now Rab Chaim's developing the idea that even if there's Tomas Maga, which does penetrate through Tzamid Pesil, but the Tomas Ohel that derives from that Tomas Maga, which itself derived from a form of Tomas Ohel, so that Tzamid Pesil blocks against any and all forms of Tomas Ohel.